All right. Hi, guys. It's Carly, and you're back with another episode of All of the Above. I just had such an amazing conversation with my best friend from the sixth grade. Her name's Sarah Kirby. She is a professional astrologer, and her business name is Seven Moons Astrology. And we really went into together aspects of my own birth chart. She explained some of the energy that is happening right now. She explained some of the energy that is going to be happening this summer. Okay. So you were asking me, do certain signs have a predisposition to being hornier? And you know, another person who happens to be like this, who is also an Aries like you. Yes. It's not just Aries, but that is not a coincidence because okay. Aries is ruled by Mars. And Mars is the planet that is associated with sexuality okay. in astrology. It's that supercharged masculine principle and it's motivation and desire based. So it's ambitious. It's what we're chasing after. And in a primal sense, that's mating. Yeah. Mars rules Aries and it also rules Scorpio in traditional astrology. And Scorpio constantly gets this reputation for being like super sexed. Like you'll see memes on the internet talking about Scorpio just being like sex obsessed, which there are Scorpios like that, but Scorpio has a thing for control and power. So something I've noticed about Scorpios I know is that there's this dynamic between either being all about sex or totally against sex. Like people can be abstinent entirely yeah. or hold off for a really long time, or they're super into it and sexual expression because Scorpio, first of all, works in extremes. And second of all, it's about the control of the Mars principle, hmm. controlling the Mars principle. So that can show up in all kinds of interesting ways. The other signs are the signs that are really pleasure focused for okay. a different reason. So Taurus is one that I would think of. Okay. Because Taurus is about the physical senses and sensory experience and pleasure. So not every Taurus is going to be like that, but sometimes Taurus, they pursue that in terms of food. Okay. Into food or music is another way that Taurus can go about the sensory experience. So you can't just like broad stroke, say it's one sign. I'm loving that you share that about Taurus because I have a friend that's a Taurus. And then you mentioned food. Her and I are the same with food where it makes us get vagina tingles. Like we get horny for food. Yeah. But I didn't know that not everyone felt that way until a year or so ago. But I then I, dis well, yeah. I discovered that she feels that way. So I'm like, we always joke. We mm -hmm. understand each other of Yes, this food makes me horny. Like it makes me feel like lit up in my cooch. Let <laughs> me show you how I would explain it. So okay. the way that we work with astrology charts is that the natural zodiac starts with Aries in the first house. If you've seen it, it's Aries, Taurus, Gemini, Cancer is four, Leo's five, so on and so forth. Okay. Yeah. And so Taurus therefore has what we would call natural association to the second house. So it's not Taurus isn't your second house because you're a cancer rising, but yes. Taurus is naturally correlated to the second house energy, second house energy, therefore picks up some of those same things that we think about when we're talking about Taurus, like food. So Taurus fundamentally is about the physical world, the physical senses and the acquisition of resources, food, time, money, material possessions. Okay. So that's what the second house represents in anybody's chart. But the way in which a person goes about doing those second house themes, making money, eating food, 
acquiring resources of any kind relating to the natural world, all of that stuff for you, that's going to express in a more Leoan way, like Leo, because that's okay. what your house is. The only reason why I'm saying all of this is because Mars happens to be there. So Mars for you in your second house, Mars, the planet of desire and the planet of sexual impulse uh-huh. is in the second house of food. <laughs> So that's one way to think about it, but right. there's so much more here because what do you do to make money? Right now, what I do to make money is I do group coaching, which is with the body. Yeah, that's your Aries stuff. That's my Aries. But Leo is also about being known. Leo is okay. Leo is the sign that rules entertainment. Okay, I the, love that. Yeah, Leo's the sign that's associated with theater, drama, entertainment. TV, fame, public performance. So performance is a word for Leo that always comes up. And not every single Leo is a famous person. Not every single Leo has an interest in theater, but part of the core archetype of Leo is performance, self-expression, authenticity, play. Doing that is part of how you make money. And it always will be, because I know you have an interest right now too in DJing. Yes. That's the performance art. We've talked a lot before about like Aries and that being ruled by the body. And like, I also know that's like in my 10th house and that's like the career house, but it's, it's always so liberating to hear more and more you deciphering and explaining my birth chart to me because I do have so many other interests and it's gives me permission to be like, oh, wait, like this coincides with all these other thoughts that I have of things I would like to pursue, but I just haven't done yet for whatever, which reason. Yeah. And consciousness is so vast. Yeah. And that's what I love about these astrology charts is that they are as vast as consciousness itself. They are an ever evolving interactive map that reveals more as we become more aware of self. Yeah. And everything in here will have archetypal ties to anything we desire or are manifesting presently. And I don't mean like manifesting, like, let me set an intention and manifest (laughs) it. Manifesting like we are presently experiencing a certain manifested reality. Yes. I'm presently manifesting an interest in being a DJ. Yes. And even though I was also into animal science before, how are these all connected? There is a thread in here. Yeah. I feel like this is like illegal because that's why they've tried to make it illegal, (laughs) socially illegal. They've tried to make it taboo at the very least. Yeah. But like even us just recording this right now feels like it shouldn't be allowed because (laughs) first of all, like you are my best friend and I love talking to you about these things. So I almost feel like I'm exploiting you. Oh, man. But then you also empower me so much by teaching me so much about me. So then it feels like I'm spending all of this time just for you to give me information. But I know that it lights you up as well. So I'm like, I'm not using her. (laughs) No, not at all. And you know that I am just fully ecstatically joyous that anyone would even ask me to do this. Like I want more people to ask me to do this. <laughs> it gives me so much joy and energy back. Besides, if any single one of the people who listen to this on all of the above take interest in my work because of it, worth it. A hundred percent. Okay. So the shift point for me that was like, we should do a podcast was 
when we were in Mexico and it was the night that Haley and Drew went off of the resort and it was, we had the steak dinner with Tom, Ellie and John. Yes. And I was struggling. I did not want to be there. Like I just wanted to get room service. It was a long day and I felt really bad because I like wanted to spend time with you. So I was like, no, like you're going to go to the dinner. You're going to go hang out with Sarah. You'll get to know Ellie more. Like you should go. I couldn't tell you were feeling that way at all. <laughs> you hit, you oh. hit that masterfully because I had no clue. I was feeling it hardcore and I felt like I was coming off as a bitch. So that's really nice to hear. <laughs> yeah, I had no idea. <laughs> but I was like, I have nothing to share. Like I don't have anything to talk about. And then I think maybe just you and Ellie were talking about astrology things. And then we started talking and then I felt so energized. And I was like, Carly, even on the days that you feel the worst and that you don't want to talk to anyone and you have nothing to say, you still have plenty to say to Sarah about astrology. And I remember feeling lit up and then Haley and Drew came back and I completely ignored Haley and Drew because then you and I were so entranced in conversation that I had to apologize to Haley the next day and be like, sorry that I didn't even look at you like the whole entire (laughs) night. Did they feel offended? No, she didn't even like notice. It was all in my head. But then I was like, okay, if you are able to have these types of conversations with Sarah and feel lit up, even when you're in the worst of moods, that's something that you should do more of. So I'm like, why the fuck not would I put you on my podcast and we just make this a regular thing because I could never get enough of it. I would love it to be a regular thing because I can also never get enough of it. And I've had to do a lot of self-awareness work is what I'll call it (laughs) because I could do this with anybody who will listen. I'm yeah. literally like, sit down. Let me give you my PhD thesis on astrology at the drop of a pin. I have to rein it in because especially living here in Austin, like people are really quacky. So mm-hmm. most people are down to listen and it isn't really outside the box for most people in Austin. However, yeah. people do not want to hear about this at nausea, most people anyway. And it can make me come off the wrong way. It can really annoy people. Matt, my partner, does not want to hear me talking about the astrology of every waking moment of reality because I could. Yeah. And it never gets old to me. It's like this playful, wondrous, fascinating experience that just enriches every second of my life. Hmm. And so I'm happy to share it with anybody who will listen. And I am doing my best to practice sipping my lip when people just want (laughs) to live life. Yeah. Yeah. And not know like why this thing is happening to them. I got a cut on my hand and I was like, I wonder what Sarah would have to say about this cut on my hand. (laughs) And I guarantee you if the cut was bad enough, there would be a transit associated with it. I have this idea in my head. This is a personal philosophy. No one says this is true, but it's just something I feel, or at least I experience is that the degree of astrological awareness you have as you learn more Mm. is proportionate to the readiness of your soul to experience it because you could run away with this information in a really unhealthy way. And I think that's why there's a lot of cautionary tales about astrology coming from religious groups or coming from anybody who has a predisposition towards paranoia or fearful thoughts. Yeah. Because you, you can really put your yourself in a disempowering place with astrology. And by the same token, you can put yourself in one of the most empowered 
positions I could even conceptualize, but you have to tune into your emotions and be aware and have some self-control because not every single thing needs to be bumped up against the transits and analyzed. And you don't need to try to predict every single thing that's going to happen or feel that your life has no element of free will. And then that's when you get into the discussion of free will versus fate and how much of that is really going on here. Yeah. I feel like you've done a really good job explaining that to me as well when it comes to this isn't like astrology and my birth chart and interpreting the information isn't necessarily going to be like, this is what's going to happen today. And this is what's going to happen tomorrow. It's more so these are all the things that could happen. And you're going to see more of the red thread when you look back on it and see the connections, but it's not like this is bound to happen today. This is bound to be what's going to, how your Mm -hmm. life's going to unfold. Like you still have that free will. Yeah. And it's an interplay between both. And I really liked what you were sharing with me when you were texting me about looking into your past and certain key events that happened and how they correlated with the sign that the sun was in at that time and the moons that were going on. And that's really fascinating too, because it's almost like more enlightening when you look at it in the past instead of the future, because then it informs thematically what you might be expecting into the future and working on the level of themes, I think is more empowering than like nitty gritty details and trying to do specifics of what's going to happen today. If you do it thematically, you're thinking more about how to direct your own personal evolution. Yeah. So when we were on vacation and you felt really lit up about the conversation, when you were just a few minutes prior feeling really exhausted and not in the mood, what do you think it is about astrology that energizes you? That's such an interesting question. Because at this point in time, it's become so ingrained in our friendship. And I've always felt energized by our friendship in general. You are this like vessel of knowledge. And I feel like I am someone that asks a lot of questions. So I feel like it really just goes hand in hand together that I can ask you things. I can interpret my own patterns that I sense and then come to you and discuss them. And because it is so all-encompassing, it's noticing patterns in my life. It's noticing patterns in my other friends' lives. It's noticing patterns of people that I know have the same sun sign or the same rising sign or the same moon sign. And then I can come to you and we can discuss it. So it's like you are this vast well of knowledge, not only for me understanding myself, but for me to also understand the people around me, which I almost feel like I just understand people better yeah. now because of it. And then it's a fun game I get to play. It is a fun game. I went through this arc in my life where as soon as I started to really move past a novice level with astrology, I became very aware of everybody in my personal life exhibiting what we would call the shadows or the flaws of each sign each archetype of consciousness and we all have them and every sign has wonderful things about it and challenging things about it and there's a lot of stuff in my chart that makes me let's say very apt to pointing out problems 
Okay. Cause I have a lot of sixth house energy and I've had to learn how to not criticize because especially in my partnership, I would see Matt manifesting all the like textbook traits of Aries, cancer, and Leo coming together. I was just seeing so much that I was like, Oh, if you could only just change this part of yourself into this part of yourself. Yeah. Why are you doing Aries this way when you couldn't do it that way? And yeah. It was driving me insane. It was ruining my relationships. It was becoming a draining experience. And I sat down with myself and I was like, look, Sarah, no matter who you're in a relationship with, for whatever reason you're in a relationship with, you are going to have perhaps a a unique ability to see deeply into them. And no matter who you decide to be with, you're going to see the parts of that sign that you don't like manifest. So are you just going to hop around finding all the things you don't like about every sign? Or are you going to step back and watch the grand play and see everybody fill their role absolutely perfectly? Yeah. And it was a mindset shift that I had to have that now I feel that I'm just in a place of such acceptance and fascination with the way that everybody behaves. And it's allowed me to depersonalize it a little bit, even with relationships that have been traditionally very challenging for me to do that. Think about dynamics that you have with a sibling or a parent that you're not on good terms with or something like that. And you can just step back and be like, look how well they do who they are. And look how well I do who I am. And what if I'm great the way that I am and I don't need to fall into this like merciless self-improvement hamster wheel that people are like into? Yeah. And then just let yourself be, which is what that's like the OG Sarah saying, don't try because just just being is what really makes all the magic happen. A hundred percent. I like that. You said that it makes you more fascinated with people and it's this fun game. And I could see why that would be your explanation for why astrology lights you up because you have your Mercury and Aquarius and we, and your Venus. But we haven't talked about this as much as as we've talked about your Pisces sun or your Aries moon or your cancer rising. Mm -hmm. But the Mercury placement is really important because it's how you think and it's how you communicate and it's how you process information intellectually. It's your mind. And so in Aquarius, Aquarius is the sign that's associated with groups. It's collective groups. It's big groups of friends. It's people as an entity, it's society, it's sociology. It's a scientific kind of thinker. It's a air sign that is connected to science, rational thought. And it's all about systems because it's ruled by Saturn in traditional astrology. And Saturn wants to structure and systemize, but because it's an air sign, which is again about the mind and the mental plane, it's about structuring and systemizing ideas. And so having a Mercury in Aquarius would make you apt for quickly understanding, assimilating, noticing patterns, and integrating the intellectual structure of astrology for interpreting human behavior on a societal scale. Okay. That makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. It's like a lot of words. (laughs) No, it makes complete sense. And I love that we're talking about this because I feel like I've done a lot of deep dive myself, my Aquarius being in Mercury and in Venus. Mm-hmm. And I remember when doing so, it was like this, it's something about myself that I feel very like prideful of and that I really enjoy. 
And I feel like something that I've really been working on recently and this pattern that I've noticed in my life is that I feel like for the majority of my life, I have felt like I didn't have my own voice and like I wasn't able to share my thoughts and I wasn't able to share my ideas because I was put down for one reason or another. And now I feel like I'm coming out on another side where I'm liberating myself and liberating my own voice and liberating my ability to share ideas. This podcast is a great example of you and I just talking right now about this more occult topic, but then realizing <laughs> like with my friends and noticing more and more that they have this interest too. And I'm like, okay, you share this with Sarah already. So why don't you record it and put it out there and then you can learn more and people can learn more. So just in general, me learning about this like side of me, that's like this Aquarian sharing of ideas, noticing patterns has been such a joyful emergence of self within just the last year itself. Yeah. Yeah. And for those that are just listening or for people who didn't get me winking at Carly (laughs) when she said that it was like deep dives into sharing ideas about occult topics, your Aquarius is in the eighth house. So that eighth house in astrology is naturally correlated to Scorpio and Scorpio is about occult topics, taboo topics, sex, psychology, the study of people's motivations. Those are just a few, but for you to be very motivated and interested in sharing and talking and communicating about those topics to a large group, Aquarius, and also via the medium of a podcast. That's in here too, because Mercury is associated with media in the first place, media news, all forms of broadcasting information. But in particular for you, Mercury rules your third house because that's where Virgo is and Mercury rules Virgo. And that third house is that media marketing connecting over any stream of broadcast, whether it's the postman sending you a message in 1600 or it's all of the above on Spotify and free. Yeah. Yeah. That was such a cool aspect of the strong lifting meet because a, it was like this large group of girls. I'm pretty sure it was like 40 people total, but in my Airbnb that I was staying in, it was with 12 different girls. And I just feel like I would bounce between girls. And I feel like just in general, when I talk to the girls in the glute squad, that I always have really in-depth conversations with them. It's never really surface level. And my one friend who's in the glute lab, she happens to be a Gemini, but she asked me, she was like, do you have these types of conversations with everyone? And I was like, that's a great question because honestly, I feel like I do. Yes. I feel like that's something I never really, maybe I, if I didn't notice about myself or if I did, I was like, wow, like I put too much of myself out there. I really just go too deep with everyone, but it's no, like that's just who I am. And I wouldn't want to be any other way. Absolutely. And that's where this can become so empowering because it gives you permission to be yourself and it helps reflect to you who you are because let's be honest, it's hard to know who we are. Yeah. Especially when you're a Pisces. Yeah. (laughs) Because Pisces is so many things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That eighth house energy, it's about going deep. So I would say to any client that came to me with a Mercury in the eighth house or Mercury in Scorpio, which I have, or maybe in close conjunction with Pluto or something like that. There's lots of ways that pattern could show up in a chart, but I would maybe say 
you probably really get the ick from surface level conversations, or it's just not interesting to you. It's rather boring to talk about the weather. You'd rather get to the meat and get down to the bone and do it quickly because that's where all the learning is. That's where all the experience and the meaning is. And that's not TMI. Yeah. And maybe it's TMI for some people, but those aren't your people. I honestly love that you say that because that's also been something I've been pondering. Sometimes I question, I'm like, am I socially awkward? Because I feel like when, when I can't break that barrier, I'm like, I literally do not know what to say to you right now. So I'm just going to smile and nod and hope that you're going to guide this because I just can't, I can't do it. I need to read a book to learn how to just have those more mundane interactions with people. Do you? I probably not. (laughs) I can't do it. I have a pronounced history of rubbing people the wrong way or scaring them or people who have a lot of eighth house or Scorpio energy. They get that stereotype of being intimidating because it's a very penetrative energy. And what I mean by that is that people aren't always consciously aware of it, but these signs and these archetypes, they translate as an energetic experience. Okay. the person who is on the receiving end of it. There's a feeling, there's an emotion. It's in the aura, it's in the air. I don't, not everybody would acknowledge that as a real part of conscious experience. Whether you're fully aware of it or not, you can sense the penetrative, deeply peering gaze of scorpionic eighth house energy. It's deeply interested and it's paying full attention. And sometimes I've had people share reflections with me being that I have a Scorpio stellium with my Mercury at the anoretic degree of Scorpio, the final degree where it's like the most Scorpio energy conjunct Jupiter and Pluto. It's really, we're out here (laughs) with the Scorpio energy. People have shared with me that it feels like I'm interrogating them, that it feels like I am studying them or that I'm like really interested in psychoanalyzing them and that it makes them uncomfortable or that they feel threatened in some way by that. And that's so interesting for me to hear because I know that I can't really necessarily change that perception that people have about me without fundamentally betraying who I am. Yeah. Because I'll tell you nine times out of 10, I'm just really interested in the person. I'm just really listening. I'm asking pointed questions that maybe they haven't wanted to face or answer or think about before. It causes a deeper self-reflection that a lot of people aren't comfortable with. And so it's to each their own. It's not one is not better than the other. It's just, there are signs that vibe well with eighth house Scorpio energy. And there are signs that feel averse to that in the zodiac. Do you, have you had these experiences with people that are close to you or has it been okay? Yeah. Has it ruined friendships? Not ruined because but like inhibited? I think so. I think, yeah, I would say yes. I would say yes to that. And you know what? It is also precisely what makes me so good at what I do. Yeah. Yeah. Amen to that. Yeah. You're not going to change that because that is who you are. And it's the energy that you're meant to bring. Yeah. And when people classify which sign does astrology fall into, there are two that come up primarily. And a third that I've heard some astrologers reference as having association with astrology. And I can see why. The first that I hear most often is Aquarius, 
because it's an esoteric science. It's a intellectual system of thought to analyze people. To me, I've always understood it to be very analytical. Hmm. It's intuition helps. I don't think you could do this without intuition, but it's a lot more scientific and analytical than people realize. The second sign that comes up just as often is Scorpio. So that eighth house energy, because Mm -hmm. especially in today's society, it's considered very taboo. It's lumped in with the occult. It's sometimes seen as witchcraft. It's sometimes seen as satanic. People were burned at the stake and exiled from their kingdom for practicing astrology. The books were burned when Constantine was spreading Catholicism throughout Europe. It is in that sense, a very scorpionic thing. And it's also about peering deeply into patterns and studying people, which is a scorpionic thing. It's about seeing what lies under the rug. And then the third sign is Gemini, because it's about the relaying of information and the spreading of messages, which is a Gemini thing. So for you to have an interest in astrology makes perfect sense in your chart because your Mercury is in eighth house Aquarius. So you get both Scorpio and Aquarius through that. Okay. Your Venus is there. And you have the North Node in Scorpio. And the nodes are about the karmic path. So that North Node there is a higher order call from your soul about what you're meant to be learning this lifetime. And so there's an insatiable desire to push forward towards this North Node to have these experiences in life. The philosophy behind it that I ascribe to would be that it, it is helping you to complete your mission, fulfill your soul contract, or to do whatever it is you're here to do on a more spiritual level with this. Right. So you mentioned before, like the red lines in my chart is more where I'll have difficulty and the red line is from my Mercury and Aquarius goes with, what is this one in my Leo? Yeah. This is an opposition. Yeah. I feel like a lot of the reason why I would never want to talk about astrology, especially not publicly, is because of my father. And he's someone that's very much so not like spiritual and would say that this is all like ludicrous and hocus pocus. Mm-hmm. So do you, th- is that something that's represented in that line you feel like? There or is not necessarily. Yeah, no, definitely. But it's, okay. So for me, I think the relationship with the father and the opinions of the father come through a number of different areas on this chart. And that's the thing with astrology is that for something to really express, it should be pronounced on the chart in at least two ways. It should be loud. It should be obvious if it's really going to produce a pattern. And so what you're talking about with this Mercury oppose Mars, they're 180 degrees apart. They're actually 179 degrees apart, a very near exact opposition. So an opposition, this is earth. The X in the center is earth. This is you standing on earth. Oh, wait, I never knew that. I love yeah. that. <laughs> so let's, maybe let's just give a quick diagram overview. The okay. center, this is a map of the heavens from your position in Oak Lawn at 1.16 PM when you were born. Okay. So the rising sign, why do we call it the rising sign? It's because it's on the Eastern horizon and it's the section of the sky that is coming up where the sun normally comes up each day, Eastern horizon. Okay. So when you look to the East from your position in Oak Lawn, 
where the sun norm and the, where the arc of the sun is normally coming up, cancer was on the horizon. That 30 degree of chunk of sky was cancer. And so okay. there's cancer rising. The opposite point of that is what we call the descendant. It's not showing on this chart right now, but it's at 22 degrees Capricorn, exactly opposite. And that's the Western horizon. Okay. So we call that the setting sign. And so this is what's setting on the West at 1.16 PM Capricorn. The midheaven, the MC is what's exactly above. Usually more or less, it's the Zenith point in the sky. So what's directly above you in Oaklawn at 1.16 PM was Aries. Okay. And below you all the way through the globe underneath to put it in 3D on the opposite side of the planet was Libra. Okay. Yeah. So that opposition describes two totally different energies. Aquarius and Leo are sister signs. So they have a tendency to attract each other in terms of people together because it's when opposites attract. When you see an opposition, we say in astrology that it's about integrating two disparate energies and finding and leading into what their common ground is. So Leo's a fire sign. That's different than Aquarius, which is an air sign. Leo is a fixed sign, but so is Aquarius. They're both fixed, meaning that they're about the middle of the season. So Leo is midsummer and Aquarius is midwinter. Okay. Leo is masculine and Aquarius is also a masculine sign. So meaning outward or action oriented. So really the only thing that's very different about them is that this is fire and this is air. Okay. Leo is self-expression, authenticity. Aquarius is out of the box, original, very progressive, and sometimes revolutionary ideas. So it's different from what's done before. It corrects for Capricorn, which is traditional, conservative, the tried and true way, Mm. the energy of fathers and elders. And Aquarius comes after that and says, let's progress this forward. Let's innovate. Let's be different. Let's be original. Let's think uniquely. Yeah. And so that's how you think, because that's your Mercury, Mm. but you also have your Mars in Leo and Mars is your motivation. So Mars is Mars and Leo is motivated to be successful. Mm. Mars, because success is a Leo thing. Mars and Leo is motivated to be successful in a way that other people recognize and appreciate. Aquarius doesn't care if other people recognize and appreciate it. Aquarius is about what's good for the collective group based on its own ideas. And it's very concerned with the idea of progressing society forward. Sometimes it's the outcast that is so different that it feels like it doesn't fit in or like it's an alien in society because it's ahead of its time. And oftentimes it's the activists at the front of the pack pushing forward for liberty and rights. Yeah. Other times it's the scientist that's on the cutting edge of how to move technology forward. Leo is the performer and the entertainer and the one that makes sure everybody's having a good time. And those are very different things. You're motivated to be successful in a way that might be more socially acceptable. Yeah. And then it goes, it kind of butts heads with one another. It's like, you want to be socially acceptable, but I'm also like trying to be not even trying, but like a natural tendency of wanting to look at things differently yes. and wanting to be a pioneer. Yeah. 
But really when it comes to dad and like the perceptions of dad, I look to this sun conjunct Saturn. Okay. Because the sun is your core essence. It's who you are. And Saturn is the father. And so is the sun, according to some astrologers. So these two planets here, I would say that you probably put a lot of pressure on yourself to be morally and ethically virtuous and a good girl. Yeah. Not just to your father, but just in general. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the first time we talked about that and specifically with the Leo and with the dual green lines. Yeah. How do I, how do I speak? Okay. In conjunction. I was like, what's the right word that I can use here in conjunction? And you're like with a male figure. And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And then as time went on, I was like, I know exactly what you're talking about. But I had just never even considered it. There was never a light shined on it. And I'm like, oh, I see now. I understand what you meant by that. But I definitely feel that pressure. Yeah. Specifically towards my father and slash just father figures in my life, male figures in my life, but just in general of, I have to be a good girl. But then that can be really debilitating and limiting. So it is something that I struggle with. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. This pattern can do a lot. I would say that in conjunctions are probably the most challenging aspect. Mm -hmm. Not everybody has them in their chart. I have one as well. And it's 150 degrees in total. That's what an in conjunction is. And so you might hear that there's a lot of words for this in astrology, actually. And that's why it gets so confusing for people because some astrologers call them in conjunctions. Sometimes they say it's the signs are in a version. Sometimes they call it a quincunx. So there's lots of words for it. Okay. I don't know. But (laughs) what all it means is to say that these signs have nothing in common. So the energy to integrate them is quite challenging. Pisces is a water sign. Leo is a fire sign. Pisces is feminine. Leo is masculine. Pisces is a mutable sign, meaning it shifts with the seasons. It's adaptable. It's fluid. It is ever changing, ever evolving, and tends to feel most in its flow when things are transitioning, when things are up in the air. Yeah. When things are on the road, like mutable signs like to travel, for instance. Yeah. Leo is fixed, like I said before. So it's about keeping things consistent and reliable and stable. And so because your son is here, there's a soul-based need to do the ninth house Pisces things. Okay. Ninth house travel, ninth house, higher education, ninth house philosophy, ninth house spirituality, ninth house ethics, morality, thinking about the right way to live, ninth house optimism, ninth house exploration, ninth house adventure, belief. What do I believe? It's very positive, uplifting, like positive belief expectation is a thing with a lot of Sagittarius ninth house energy comes in. Pisces, I'm a dreamer. I'm a lover. I want the best for people. I'm compassionate. I believe that we should care about other people and their well-being and that we should sometimes sacrifice our own in order to ensure that we all have what we need because this is the oneness and this is all of us and we're all the same and there is no difference. And therefore, you know, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. And I'll take a loss to ensure you have a gain sometimes to my own detriment. And that's where that shadow can come in. And so the combination of this energy is extremely visionary and it's extremely forward seeking. 
and hopeful and idealistic and optimistic. So you have this idea about what you could be, who you could be, what you want out of life. And you might even question yourself, is this even realistic? Because Saturn comes in here and says, hard stop. Is it real? Mm-hmm. Is it practical? Can you actually do this? Will you actually just put the work in instead of just dreaming about it all day? Saturn goes, is this even reliable? Is this responsible? Is this realistic? Yeah. And then in conjunction to Mars in Leo here goes, I need to make money because this is the impulse and the drive and where you're taking action. And the second house is money, stability, making sure that my material plane is taken care of. So there's this dynamic in your soul all of the time that is caught between how to have this idealistic vision of life that I believe I can reach and attain because I'm dreaming of it in a Pisces way and I'm shooting for it with my Sagittarian arrow in a ninth house way. And I know it's authentic and true to me in a sun sign Leo solar energy kind of way. And I know it's what my soul is and the practical material concerns of how I'm going to figure this out and make money from it and sustain myself and put food on the table. And I'm very driven and I'm very ambitious about making more money because why not have it all, Leo? Yeah. Why not yeah. have it all, Leo? And then that Saturn comes in here in this in conjunction and says, but damn it, you got to work for it. Damn it, it's going to take longer than you think it's going to. Damn it, you might not be able to have everything you want because there's responsibility involved and there's effort involved. And the other thing that the Saturn conjunct the sun does is make you doubt yourself constantly. The self-doubt, the questioning, the constant checking to see if people are perceiving you as having offended them or constantly thinking that you're the bad girl and not the good girl. So this is the stop sign. That Saturn. Yeah. And mine just so happens to be that close to my sun sign. Not everyone's Saturn is like that. Correct. And you and I share that for a different reason. You have Saturn conjunct the sun within one degree, and it creates that Saturnian element to your life. Life doesn't work out for people with Saturn and Pisces until they've found their own sense of inner spiritual authority their own definition of what God is and how to have a relationship with it. Until you've done that, life will feel like 10,000 bricks on your shoulders when you have Saturn and Pisces. That's for anybody with Saturn and Pisces, but particularly for those who have it in close conjunction with a key point in their chart, like the sun. And then I have Saturn square my sun within one degree, which is another hard aspect that creates that tension and that demand to figure life out on that Piscean level. What are we really doing here? There's there's some kind of transcendent meaning to consciousness. And Pisces is usually very concerned with that. And that's why you see a lot of spiritualists and artists, but that's why you also see people in prison and people with drug addictions and people who are just messing it up on every level carry a lot of Pisces energy because fundamentally what people with Pisces energy are seeking is a transcendental experience of the one Christ consciousness energy, which is what Pisces is. And so by any means to get that. Right. And people will do whatever they can to get that experience. For the Saturn, do you also experience those like feelings of like self-doubt? So I think the reason why yours manifests as self-doubt 
which we've talked about. That can be one of the shadows of a Pisces energy. It's just, oh my God, suffocating self-doubt. Because mm-hmm. Pisces is so aware of other people's energy. The issue of having energetic, emotional, and physical boundaries can be a big life lesson for people with Pisces. Yeah. So because you have the sun and Saturn closely conjunct in Pisces, like that would tip off pretty much any astrologer, especially with this in conjunction to Mars here in Leo, which is about the self-expression that you might feel a little bit inhibited in your authenticity. And then if you look at my chart, which I'll just pull up here, I have the square Saturn here in Pisces is square Saturn. So it's pulling in a different energy than yours slightly. Yeah. It still has the same undercurrent of that Saturn in Pisces, which is an absolute outright brutal demand to cultivate your own sense of inner spiritual authority. Like I said, yeah, but mine pulls in Sagittarius energy as well, which is why it looks a little different in me than it does in you. Okay. I don't feel I struggle so much with self-doubt as I do self-righteousness. Okay. So you and I always connect because you have your sun and Saturn in the ninth house, like I said, Hmm. and that ninth house is naturally correlated to Sagittarius. So you and I have just this weird mix of similar energy in this way, but the way that it plays out is a little different because the square creates the tension between two mutable signs. And when a mutable sign has a square, okay, the issue is repression. and. I have a tendency to repress what I'm feeling, repress what I'm desiring, or repress myself from expressing fully or taking risk or going on adventures or just being a little bit explorative with new ideas because I'm so fixated on living a morally virtuous life. Okay. And then I can become very judgmental of other people not making the same choices or decisions. And that's how that comes up. And it literally just could eat me alive if I let it. Yeah. I have to learn to be softer on myself because this comes up as being like an authoritarian toward myself. Like I have this like priest overlord inside my head. Whereas yours, I would maybe describe more as not so much a priest overlord, but like an inner bully. Yeah. That just wants to tear you down. I love all of the words that you are using because this is why this blew my mind in the first place, because you would say things that I have never shared with anyone, but like I have felt myself. So I have felt that I bully myself so that no one else can bully me first. I'll beat you to the punch. Oh, no worries. I've already thought that about myself. And then you mentioned earlier something along the lines of I just feel very aware of everyone around me and what's going on around me to the point and I had this thought this weekend where I'm like I wish that I wasn't so aware because it makes me feel like I don't even know how to be authentic because I can read the room like I can read everyone's intentions I can read people's energy and I'm like then I don't know how to (laughs) I don't know how to be in that situation because And then it makes me struggle with being authentic. And I think that's why I feel like I'm socially awkward. (laughs) It's like, sometimes I just want to break. You said all the words because that you're Pisces, that very open aura, right? 
very open aura that absorbs everybody around it that could take any of those characteristics and be any of that way and shape shift into whoever the moment calls for, which is a mutable sign characteristic, but especially with Pisces. Yeah. And has that aversion to Mars and Leo that goes, I don't know how to be authentic Leo. I don't know how to self-express. <laughs> I don't know how, I don't know who I am. And that leads me to thinking and feeling on the mental plane that I'm an outcast weirdo Aquarius. <laughs> right. Yes. 100%. Yeah. I'm different. I'm different. I'm who am I? I'm awkward. Yeah. That's Aquarius through and through. So this in conjunction is something you work to solve throughout your life experience and usually when you have Saturn's involvement here it means that it is something you tend to work on through the entire life. Like it's right. not something that you can just figure out it's a long time to work through this soul lesson. It's because it's a part of your nature and the Saturn return that you're going to go through or that you are going through this year and for the next two years is going to help you solidify that and see these lessons more clearly, make decisions for yourself around how to have better energetic boundaries and how to maintain the sense of self in group settings and how to embrace your fluidity as well. And that will be just a small snippet of what the Saturn return will mean for you. Right. Um, and then you'll go through another lesson like that, God willing, when you go through the second Saturn return, when you're 58, 59, 60. So it's just this ever evolving process. Yeah. Which makes me excited to keep getting older. Yeah. I'm like, amen. I'm going to become more and more myself. And that's cool. <laughs> amen. Amen to that. Just already... getting rid of all the things that aren't you. Yeah. Yeah. I already feel really amped to be 28. I'm like this last month, I just feel like I've grown so much and been in so many learning situations. And I'm like, keep it coming. Keep it coming. Let's go, baby. I just feel like we for so long since about November of 2021 have been under a very slow energy and people are ready for the pace to pick up. And people have been ready for the pace to pick up since even December of last year or before, and it will be picking up and it is picking up because of the transit. So now what I just did is I added on the transits onto the chart. So everything here on the outside of the chart. Okay. In green, these are the transits, which are the positions of the planets today mapped against your natal chart. Because For a transit to make something happen in your life, it has to be making a direct relationship with something in your natal chart because your natal chart describes the potential, the natal potential of your life. So when people read daily horoscopes and they're like, how come one day I'm feeling this and it makes sense and it applies to me. And the next time I'm like, this has nothing to do with me and it's completely inaccurate. Therefore, astrology is completely inaccurate. False. (laughs) It's because horoscopes are really hard to do. to a broad audience, because not everybody is affected by every eclipse. And every time you go on the internet, people will say, there's an eclipse and it's life-changing. Click my video. That eclipse is really going to be life-changing for a certain subset of people whose charts are in hard aspect with that eclipse. Yeah. And for the rest of us, it might be an event that we go, oh, this is an active month, but not something that totally transforms my life. And you and I have had a few of those totally transforming eclipses in the past. Yeah. But they're not all like that. We have four eclipses every year. 
but overall, all of us for the past two years have been experiencing like a slower, denser energy that has been focused on shoring up our resources, making more money or saving more money, spending less, creating more stability, creating more comfort, finding more pleasure, slowing down, just being easier on ourselves in general, because the North node has been moving through Taurus. And we've had a lot of challenges in doing that because Uranus has been here and there's been a lot of Uranus activations, which disrupt our ability to do that easily. But Taurus is that slow, grounded, stable, patient, committed, disciplined, determined, reliable energy that wants to make its money and save its money. It wants to enjoy its food and wine. It wants to wear nice fabrics. It wants to listen to good music. It wants to enjoy life. It wants to embrace the simple pleasures. It wants to make sure that its material needs are taken care of so that it can enjoy them. We have been trying to create a situation for ourselves that feels more free and liberated, which is Uranus words now, Uranus and Taurus, so that we can do the North Node and Taurus things of slowing down more and enjoying the pleasures. But it has felt at many times and at many points very stagnant, like it isn't happening fast enough. And I think all of us learned that we really did need to slow down and figure out why that was good for us and how much we needed it. And now that we're towards the end of this now, and we're going to shift into Aries this summer, and Jupiter's already there amplifying that, and we're in Aries season, and we're in this fresh energy, we can feel the momentum pick up, the speed pick up, the motivation increase, the energy to take action increase, the fearlessness, kind of the bravery to put ourselves in new situations growing, and yeah, the confidence to just take a step in a new direction. And when we fully get into this Aries energy in July, when the North Node shifts into Aries, we'll start working with a new theme as a group. And it will be less about slowing down and stabilizing our resources because we should have, if we've done it successfully, got ourselves in a position that feels more stable in that way. So then we can shift focus onto something new, which is the Aries, which is the trust myself, trust my instincts. Decide for myself. Don't consult other people. Decide for myself. The pace will pick up and more opportunities to make decisions and take action and direct the course of life and have to figure that out all on our own is actually coming in for everyone. I'm so excited. Me too. It's going (laughs) to, I think for you, especially you should be excited because this is a really important time in your life because you have so much going on with your Saturn return happening at the same time as the nodes will be on your axis. Wait, I just want to interrupt you quickly. So the, it's going to be these outside planets, they're shifting to the right, like clockwise. So everything here goes counter counterclockwise. Okay. However, the nodal axis, so the North node and the South node, which sits at the exact opposite point, they move in retrograde by default, meaning they go clockwise. Always. Always. Okay. There are some nuances to that, but always (laughs) is a good answer for this moment in time. Okay. (laughs) So yeah, they start at the end of a sign and move towards the beginning of the sign, whereas everything else is moving counterclockwise, unless it's in retrograde, like Mercury retrograde or Venus retrograde, Mars retrograde. So we can talk about that in a minute, but. Oh my God. What? I just never knew that. But now that I have this visual and you say that, I'm like, I never understood what it meant when it went retrograde, but that just means it's going the opposite way. Yes. And this is an interesting 
topic because what does it mean for a planet to be going the opposite way? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm certainly not suggesting to you that Mercury in its orbit around the sun halts and starts moving the other direction. Yeah. Skeptics of astrology love to trivialize the retrograde because they love to say planets don't move in a different direction in their orbit. Astrology is false. Okay, buckaroo. I don't even know what I'm talking about. The definition of retrograde is based on everything in this chart being from the perspective of Earth at the center. So if everything is from Earth's vantage point, every time a planet goes retrograde, and this is how the original astrologers by the naked eye did it in the sky, is that ever so often the planets would be transiting against the backdrop of fixed stars. So all the stars in the sky don't appear to move from our vantage point. The sky just shifts and the stars with it. And the reason we were able to originally identify planets, and you can see this in the night sky if you go camping for a week and the planet is visible to you, the planet is going to be in a different position with respect to the stars behind it day over day. It will be in a different section of the sky and it appears to be moving. Yeah. And so what would happen when a planet would go retrograde is that all of a sudden it would have its normal pattern of transiting across the sky and it would seem to stay in one position for a few days and then it would start moving in the other direction mm -hmm. and it looks like it's going backwards but what that means is from earth we're overtaking it in its orbit mm -hmm. so when you're driving a car next to a truck and you start to pass the truck and all of a sudden it looks like the wheels are spinning the opposite way it's just right whoa i love yeah. that yeah, so cool yeah are there planets that you can always see? Because I feel like I can always see Venus, but maybe that's just where I am. Yeah, Venus is the morning star. Venus is probably one of the easiest ones to spot, Venus and Mars. Okay. It definitely depends on the season and like what else is going on. We yeah. call that whether or not a planet is visible. Like right now, Venus is visible because it's far enough away from the sun. Okay. Mercury can have a tendency. It's visible right now, but it has a tendency to be more invisible and harder to see first of all because it's so tiny but second of all because it's usually very close to the sun and the sun obstructs it so there's only a few hours like in the early morning where you'd be able to see it and okay it more difficult to see it's very evasive which is like part of the archetype of mercury is that it's very fast moving and flighty and one minute's here and the next minute's over there so that contributes to the symbolism but yeah venus is one that you can see more frequently we had that Venus-Jupiter conjunction recently, which was visible in the sky. Okay. You can usually see Mars too. Okay. But it would, it depends on the time of day and where you're at and all right. that. Yeah. Right. So the North Node is going to be moving into Aries in July. Yeah, July 17th. The nodal okay. axis will shift. The North Node will be in Aries and the South Node will be in Libra. Okay, gotcha. If you've seen any of those really scary sci-fi movies or even like the Hunger Games or the last season of Westworld, in any of these dystopian type of movies, sometimes they have this like speaker that will right. emit some kind of frequency that tells the people what the game is or what the objective is or what they're doing or programs them to behave in a certain way. If you like want to think about it in that sense, I think that's what the nodes are. It's like the call of the time. This is the mission of the moment. This is what you are going to be working through on a soul level is to embody the principles of Aries and Libra starting in July 17th.
I'm ready for it. Let's go. <laughs> it's going to be good for you because this is your 10th house. It's your moon sign. It's going to hit your midheaven angle and it's going to hit your imam coli, the IC, which is your angle of where you live. Okay. Home, family, property, that kind of thing. When you have the nodes transiting your axes like this, so the midheaven, the IC, it will make a square to your ascendant and your descendant. It's going to come conjunct with your moon. It's going to be lighting up your career. So like lots of big life changes will happen when the nodes are hitting those points like that in a hard aspect kind of way. So big developments with the career and moving is a big potential for you or like some concrete manifestation with home or with family or the idea of home. A lot of, I think, emotional growth is possible. It's liable that your appearance will change in some significant way because it's going to make a square to your ascendant. Transformations with your relationships, both in terms of the primary romantic partnership and close one-to-one friendships or clients. So it definitely is a more active time in life. Okay. I'm like, I feel like we've been talking about this for like years now. And I'm like, it's finally coming. It's, it's finally fine. coming. It's finally around the corner. It I've sure been holding is. out. Yeah. It took us forever to get here. Oh my God. But so much time has gone by too, which is insane to think about. 2020 was three years ago. That was such a, there were a and lot that, of really significant transits. That's where the world changed a lot. Right. But that's when you and I started these phone calls. And was, we've been doing them ever since. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how much time has passed, but I feel like it's probably been a minute. But I feel like a good way that we could end this episode is I want to hear your interpretation of my chart with your chart as to our like soul connection or like our friendship. Have you ever done that? I haven't ever actually pulled up our synastry chart, but I could do that. So let's do that. I really feel like Sarah is one of my soulmates just as much as John is, if not more. So <laughs> if not more, that's right, John, if not more, I feel that way about you too. I'm really curious. And I also am you weren't kidding when you said you had a lot of Scorpio energy. I'm like, your whole Scorpio was just like full. <laughs> yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Indeed. Let me get this for us. Yeah. So there's two different ways to look at it. Okay. This is a blending of our charts together and the way that how relationships, the two of us come together and almost create like a third entity. Okay. Yeah. Um, like the relationship itself has its own kind of personality. Yeah. That would be what this chart is. Okay. And then the one that I had up previously, which maybe I'll just get both so that we can go back and back. Yeah. Okay. This looks a little different because I'm on the outside now and you're on the inside, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> you're hugging me. I'm hugging you. And <laughs> This one shows how we relate to each other and how one person perceives the other person based on how our planets are interacting with one another. Okay. And in this chart, what you love to see for a very long lasting relationship is some kind of interaction with Saturn. So a lot of people consider Saturn to be 
a malefic influence, like it can create challenges. And that's certainly the case. However, and when you're looking at synastry and relationships, if you don't have some kind of Saturnian connection, you don't have longevity in the relationship because Saturn is about commitment and standing the test of time helps build things over a long time. So our Saturn, since we share Saturns together in Pisces, our Saturns are what we would call conjunct in our synastry charts. So that I think explains the longevity of our relationship because when did we meet? How old were we? I think we were 11. We were 11 and we're 28 now and we don't have any sign of stopping soon. No, no. I think probably the biggest binding force between us is the fact that our moons are opposite each other. Okay. Sister signs go together in relationship very well because an opposition represents the first and seventh house or the ascendant and the descendant. So it's naturally it's that Aries and that Libra energy. So people always call in their opposite partner. You remember how I would talk to you about how you are a cancer and you're with John, who's a Capricorn and yeah. the signs are opposite signs. So they complement each other, even though there are things about them that are so fundamentally different, they're kind of the right puzzle pieces to fit together. Yeah. I have that in our relationship too, because I'm a Libra moon and you're an Aries moon. I love that because the moon also is like your emotions and I feel very safe with you to share all of my inner experiences. Yeah, me too. Likewise. Like, like you're like a bed. I can lay them in and I know that they're safe and going to be protected and that you're never going to judge me for lit. I can tell you anything and I will never be like Sarah's going to think this way or or that way about me I'm just like okay there's one person I can tell anything to it's you and you're the person I'll call when my life gets turned upside down as I have before yeah yeah Yeah. when my life turned upside down I was like I have to call Sarah that was my first thought I didn't have any other thought I was like I have to call Sarah and tell her right right now right oh I feel so emotional (laughs) I love you so much I love you too (laughs) I love you too wow Looking at our combined chart, it's all about harmony and longevity because we have a seventh house stellium together. Like the two of us combine to be very Capricornian, which is about committing to one another and showing up for one another. And the seventh house is the Libra energy of harmony and support and consideration and being thoughtful and creating peace together. And You and I are exploring how to build together and our combined Venus ends up in Sagittarius. So we have a love of philosophical exploration and travel and learning and adventuring together. And Capricorn is about mastery. So I think what together, what you and I are trying to master is inner peace and relational harmony. That's just how I would say it. Yeah, that's shocking to me. Like just seeing all of that in in Capricorn. This is all so new to me, but that is really fascinating to see and then to hear your interpretation of it. We both are aware of like the things that we have had to work through together and the hurdles we've had to overcome in our relationship. I feel like every hurdle is worth overcoming with you. Yeah, absolutely. We've only ever grown more respect for each other, I think. A hundred percent. Yeah. How you did they get like so lucky? 
I love what you're doing with your life. I feel so like proud every time I could talk about you. I'm like, yeah, my friend, Sarah. Yeah, I have this best friend, Sarah, and she's a professional astrologer. And so now everyone gets to see our friendship. Everyone gets to see our friendship. I do the same with you. I'm like, Carly lives my ideal life. She just goes for it and she makes no excuses. And I'm Carly was the one that had the courage to do all of this when we were like, what? I don't know. How old were you when you were like, F my corporate job, I'm starting C-squats? I was 22. That was, I was so like, brave. Uh, and ever since then, I literally was just like, yes, I just, <laughs> I have always just been like, do it, go for it. Like you hundred percent have. Wave. Yeah. But you are the, definitely the one that's more like responsible. And I'm like, I should take notes from Sarah. My, I have a complex with responsibility. Like it's a blessing and a curse, but yeah. Okay. Well, I have a complex with just being a risk taker. I'm like, right now I feel like, did I take too much of a risk? We'll find out. <laughs> You know what? But God takes care of you. God takes care of me. It seems to work out for both of us. Yeah. Yeah. This was so much fun. I'm literally so happy we did this. Me too. I think it's been an hour and a half. Okay. So that's a good time to end it, but I'm excited to put this out there. And then I'm so excited to do more because I already have ideas and I, I had to tell myself, I'm like, just write them down, Carly. Don't bring everything up right now, but there's so much that we could dive into. Yeah. Let me know whenever. Okay. Thank you so much for being willing and sharing all of your knowledge, doing this podcast episode with you and having this recorded and knowing that it's going to be put out there. I am really excited for people to hear more of the nuances and like how deep we are able to go and all of the different areas of life that the astrology can depict and show you patterns and show you how things are connected. And I only feel like this episode has further solidified that. And there's been so many light bulb moments for me that I even want to text you after this and be like, so we talked about this and like, we need to go deeper into it. So if anyone's listening to this and they're wanting to find out more information, where can they go? Yeah. So you can find me at seven moons astrology on Instagram, TikTok, and YouTube. I share horoscopes and educational content when I feel like it. Love that. <laughs> I, I also offer uh, client consultations so you can get a natal chart reading with me and you can book all of that on my website or through my Instagram. And one of the best ways to connect with me right now, especially if you're new to astrology, would be to get your horoscope report. I just launched 30 page horoscope reports for all 12 signs. And my recommendation to everyone would be to get your sun, moon, and your rising sign. And this is a really awesome way to see and learn to detect the patterns of astrology playing out in your life, more specifically for your signs. And I cover all the major shifting transits this year. And these reports will be active energies for the next coming three years. I've got the influence of Saturn and Jupiter and Pluto looking into the past and into the future for all 12 signs. So it's a great way to use it as a a reflection tool and a way to map and keep track of how you change and evolve over time and just increase your awareness, both of yourself and of the progression of time. And it just adds magic. That's my intention for everybody is that it just adds more magic and meaning and wonder. It's such a mystical universe that we are living in. And my hope is that by reading your horoscope report, it helps you to see those patterns loud and clear. So 
you know, that would be my suggestion is get your horoscope report. And if you're super into it, come book a reading with me at, at seven moons astrology. Love that. <laughs> you definitely do provide magic with everything that you do. And selfishly, I'm like, everyone go get their horoscope and book a reading so that I can talk to you about astrology more because you understand it more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could go over yours together. That would be fun. You think? I'm like, just put myself out there, baby. No, it is fun. I really like this. And again, I'm just so appreciative that we're able to share this together. Yeah. Thank you for having me on all of the above. And it's just really cool. Yeah. I'm sure that you'll be back. I cannot wait. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you.